Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 163, and it's 25th July, 2021. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? <laughs> Not very Star Wars, I'm afraid. <laughs> I've just had lots of stuff going on in my life, like mostly good stuff, so nothing to complain about. Um, but yeah, I've just been busy sorting my life out, basically. Um, I watched Bad Batch, very entertaining, very pleasant. Um, but yeah, that's really the main Star Wars thing that I've done in the last week. How about you, Kirsty? Yeah, I guess same. Like mm. beyond kind of keeping up with the little tidbits coming out, I haven't read any new Star Wars stories or anything. It's just been Bad Batch, which is, you know, continuing to be enjoyable and we'll get more into later. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I guess I have been paying a lot of attention to the new Adam Driver Burberry photo shoots, um, which feels like Star Wars because everyone uses it for Star Wars they use. <laughs> um, but that is not most people's Star Wars and I fully respect that. So yeah, I'll abstain from going into details about how the photos of Adam Driver rising topless from the ocean have been used by members of the Raylo fandom. But I will say that I appreciate those efforts. So thanks, guys. Ben and Ray on Naboo AU. <laughs> yes. That's the catharsis I need, please. And I'm more than happy for fans to create that catharsis. So yeah, God bless this fandom. Um, so yeah, that's very exciting to see. Um, but yeah, let's move on. <laughs> so in the news section, we have just a few little things to cover, really. Um, the first one is about Patty Jenkins and just sharing a little bit of an update on her Rogue Squadron movie, which is nice. It's been a bit quiet recently. Yep. And this is from The Hollywood Reporter. Um, could you read out those quotes that we have, please, Kirsty? It's going amazing. I'd been on it already for six months before I even announced that. So we're pretty deep into it. We're finishing a script, crewing up, and it's all going wonderful. I'm so excited about the story and excited that we're the next chapter of Star Wars, which is such a responsibility and such an opportunity to really start some new things. It's really exciting in that way. It's an entirely different way of working. I'm on the phone with all of them and doing Zoom meetings with everybody involved in Star Wars all the time. I'm fairly free to do the story that we want to do, but you really need to know who's done what, who's doing what, where it goes and how it works, and what designs have been done before. It's a whole other way of working that I'm getting up to speed on. Yeah, and I like those comments and I really hope that she means it when she says that we're doing some new things because I feel like that's what Star Wars desperately needs at the moment. New <laughs> things. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like I don't want to go on like a little rant about this and I think in lots of ways they've been used in really cool ways, you know, so it's not bad as such, you know, but it's hard to watch stuff like Mandalorian Season 2 and even The Bad Batch without noticing that so many of the episodes in those shows are basically centred around a guest appearance from a pre-existing character from like the Clone Wars or something. And yeah, I just see that as having a very limited shelf life as a storytelling model. And I really want to see Star Wars tell stories that justify their own existence as good stories, you know, without referencing other aspects of Star Wars to present themselves as valid in some way if that makes sense yeah it's tricky isn't it because those episodes can be very enjoyable you know it's not like saying that they're universally bad or it's a bad idea to include existing characters but it does sometimes feel like star wars is kind of circling itself as opposed to truly breaking new ground at this point so uh 
honestly, that's not something that I would have necessarily expected from something called Rogue Squadron. Yeah, same. <laughs> uh, I was kind of picturing sort of, you know, Top Gun in space, kind of um, Captain Marvel sort of stuff, yeah. I guess. But it really depends on the story that they choose to tell of it. You know, you can have that setting and that framework, but do something quite subversive and interesting. So we'll see. Exactly. Yeah, I think on paper this is not the aspect of star wars that really gets me excited you know i'm more about the force stuff and the jedi and the sith and just all force users basically and obviously non-force using characters can still be great and i love lots of non-force using characters but the pilots have just never done much for me you know those aren't the characters that i'm like wow i really want a wedge movie you know like i've never seen the big like wedge cult i don't really get it i'm happy for people who love wedge but i don't see it myself um so yeah it kind of has a bit of a job to win me over but i do like patty's wonder woman movie you know i know she's very talented so i'm curious to see what she comes up with and i hope she can take something that on paper doesn't seem like my thing and make it more my thing you know have you seen Wonder Woman 84 yet? No, I've heard it's a bit bad. It was not good, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> Happy for other people if they enjoyed it. I was just like, what is this? Yeah, it is a bit of a bummer. <laughs> so I was really looking forward to that movie. I really liked the trailers. So I thought it looked great. And I loved the soundtrack and just the 80s vibe, you know. But yeah, it's a shame to hear it kind of stumbled a bit in terms of the execution. Yeah, it's not universally bad. There are some sweet moments there are some good performances especially from pedro but um yeah not the best okay cool yeah well hopefully um rogue squadron avoids the pitfalls of that movie <laughs> um but yeah i do want to see wonder woman 84 for myself just so i can form my own opinion um but yeah i'm yeah. waiting till i can hopefully watch it for free you know if it comes onto netflix or amazon or something so yep mm -hmm. we'll see when that happens um okay cool so then the next thing to discuss is that we have a cover and a plot description for the upcoming Star Wars novel, Ronin, which is by Emma Miko Kandon. I think we discussed this when it was first announced, but at that point we only really had the title and we knew that it was a tie-in to the Visions show. So yeah, it's great to get a bit more information. Could you read out from the plot description that we have, please, Kirsty? A mysterious former Sith wanders the galaxy in the stunning Star Wars tale, an original novel inspired by the world of the jewel from the Star Wars Vision animated oh, Star Wars Visions animated anthology. The Jedi are the most loyal servants of the Empire. Two decades ago, Jedi clans clashed in service to feuding lords. Sickened by this endless cycle, a sect of Jedi rebelled, seeking to control their own destiny and claim power in service of no master. They called themselves Sith. The Sith Rebellion failed, succumbing to infighting and betrayal, and the once rival lords unified to create an empire. But even an empire at peace is not free from violence. Far on the edge of the Outer Rim, one former Sith wanders, accompanied only by a faithful droid and the ghost of a less civilized age. He carries a lightsaber, but claims lineage to no Jedi clan, and pledges allegiance to no lord. Little is known about him, including his name, for he never speaks of his past, nor his regrets. His history is as guarded as the red blade of destruction he carries sheathed at his side. As the galaxy's perpetual cycle of violence continues to interrupt his self-imposed exile, and he is forced to duel an enigmatic bandit claiming the title of Sith, 
it becomes clear that no amount of wandering will ever let him outpace the spectres of his former life. Now that sounds like a good story. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Yeah. You said something to me, Kirsty, that I thought was so true, where it was basically like, why is it that so many of the books seem to have the really exciting plots, you know, that you kind of want to yeah. see more in the films and the live action TV shows? <laughs> and yeah. I think that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, this sounds like it would make a kick ass movie. You know, I would love to see this. And obviously, I'm interested in the upcoming movies, you know, but like, either we know so little about them, that there's nothing to be excited for, or the title, as with Rogue Squadron, indicates it's about an aspect of Star that does nothing for me, really. But this, you know, it's like Jedi Samurai crossover, basically, the origins of the Sith, you know, dealing with like a dark side character, struggling with all their baggage, you know, all of this is like complete catnip to me. And I'm like, why can't we have this in movies? Uh, yeah, it's a bit frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you know, I love reading, so I'm not like, oh, it's only a book. Who cares about that? Because I do care about it. But like you say, this sounds so incredible. And like the origins of the Sith, would, who wouldn't want to see that in a movie? Like breaking away from the, the Jedi. Um, it, so it actually surprises me that it's like, this is something that they've chosen to do in this format. Um, because it is such a big a premise yeah. um, for Star Wars in general. But I guess because they're kind of dancing around the whole, like, is Visions canon or not? Because it's like, it, well, it, it it does and it doesn't matter in a way, right? If it's not canon, they're obviously not going to make a movie out of yes. it. But maybe they're also, like, kind of gauging the reaction to this and, like, how well it goes. And then maybe they would kind of adapt it for for the screen i don't know yeah but yeah it just it sounds amazing i'm really excited for this one yeah no definitely so i do feel like they're using the books kind of like a laboratory you know because they can do what they want basically in the books without there being serious consequences you know to them choosing to tell a specific type of story so they can kind of troubleshoot like really like bold and daring things that they wouldn't necessarily want to try in the movies untested so, yeah, I really hope that is what you say, where if they see that a story is well received in book format, then that would give them more confidence to go to those more interesting places in the movies. Because you're right, it's like the books, I really enjoy them in their own right. You know, I like reading. I don't mean to diminish the value of a book, but I guess because Star Wars started out as cinema, you know, it started out as that big on-screen theatrical experience that always feels like the home of Star Wars to me. You know, and those stories are always the stories that have the biggest impact, you know, on what the popular imagination of Star Wars is. So, mm. yeah, I feel like I just want to see really, really cool stories like this one told on that grand scale. Um, but yeah, I am just really looking forward to the book as well. And the cover looks great, too. Must add that um, it's a really cool Japan old fashioned Japanese style illustration, as you'd expect. And yeah. It just looks great. And it's easily my most anticipated Star Wars novel for the rest of the year. So thank you for writing it, Emma. I look forward to checking it out. Yeah. It's just really interesting to contrast these choices that they're making with new eras, brand new characters, these bold ideas of having a character that doesn't even have a name and won't reveal it um, in the books. And then, as you say, like having... Well, I guess we don't know everything about every movie coming up, so hopefully there'll be some surprises there. But 
especially in terms of like the Disney Plus series that we know about, aside from Acolyte, I think everything is kind of based around existing characters and eras that we're already familiar yeah. with. A hundred percent. So it's just an interesting contrast. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's why I'm more psyched about the books in the moment, especially the High Republic, which makes a nice segue to our next topic of discussion. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've announced the next wave of High Republic books. Um, so we've been given very little information. I believe this came out at Comic-Con at home. And the books they announced were The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, which is going to be an adult novel. Um, then Eye of the Storm by Charles Soule, which will be like a Marvel comic book series about Martian Rowe, whose name I can never pronounce right, so that's probably wrong, but Soule's. Um, <laughs> then there's Mission to Disaster by Justina Island, which is the middle grade novel. And then Midnight Horizon by Daniel Jose Older, and that is going to be a young adult novel. Um, so yep, that's four ones upcoming in January 2022. Um, like as usual with these books, I'm most interested in the adult novel, which is this time written by Claudia Gray. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts on what that could be about, but all those thoughts hinge on what happened in the rising storm. So I'm not going to say anything. Which I haven't read yet. <laughs> Don't Sorry. worry, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, basically I don't want to spoil what goes on in that book, but Without getting specific, I'll just say the stuff that does go on in the Rising Storm, the place it, where it leaves things, it makes me think that a book based on that setup in the Rising Storm, written by Claudia Gray, could easily be perfect. Because I think it's going to go to oh, places that are totally. Does someone be... fall to the dark side? No comment. No <laughs> <Sorry>. comment. <laughs> that's what i would guess based on that title i have not read the rising sure. storm so yeah, i don't yeah, yeah. know so i'm not spoiling anything for anyone i just that's what that title suggests to me and i don't know i'm, I'm intrigued but it's two books ahead for me yet. yeah um <laughs> i think when we have our rising storm discussion which will hopefully be quite soon what i would like to do is yeah tag on a little bit at the end where we speculate about what could be going on here with the Claudia Gray book yeah. and obviously many things that would be fun. but yeah that will be the place to do that conversation because yeah mm -hmm. it's not fair to do that to Kirsty right now <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I'm really enjoying this series of books um I think it ties into what we were just saying about the books going to more interesting and daring and varied places than the live action stuff is at the moment um so yeah I'm just really looking forward to this next chapter in that storytelling series so yeah it'll be good and i feel like it's come around really fast i feel like yes this is the end of what they're calling phase one of the high republic which is very marvel it's of very them. marvel bless them um but yeah no it's nice and it makes me expect big things from these books so yep we will see i guess it feels so soon because the first wave were like delayed significantly yeah. right they were supposed to come out the summer before yeah. and they came out only at the start of this year so exactly got some catching up to do yeah yeah that's right so i think those first that first wave of books was just there and ready to go but they just held them back mm. because of the pandemic um so yeah it's made it all much more compressed but that's great for when you're like me and you're impatient and it means you have less time to wait so that's great <laughs> thanks guys so you're at this point you are like eagerly anticipating you, you need to know what happens next i do yeah like especially in terms oh, of cool. like the mainline books you know like i don't 
I'm not quite addicted to the point where I need to read everything. You know, it's obviously they've got lots of High Republic media out there at the moment. Like they have all the Marvel comic book series and they do fill in important gaps in the story. But I'm still not prepared to go down that path, you know, because it's a very vast and expensive path when you start getting into the comic books. Um, Yeah, so not prepared to do that. And I do like the young adult and the junior novels, but like from the ones I read in phase one, they were good and entertaining, but like they they're not critical, you know, to understand in the story. It really is those adult novels that you have to read to like follow how things are developing. And yeah, I've mm-hmm. really enjoyed the adult novels we've had so far, and I am absolutely eager to read the next one. But yeah, I hope I'm not like cool. hyping up too much for you now, Kirsty, because obviously we've been going on for ages now about how much I like the no, rest of the storm. You know, I've I've been really interested reading the discussions and reactions coming out from that that book um and I've, I've seen a lot of positive reactions but i've also seen some people like oh i'm not so sure about this one i'm not loving it as much as light of the jedi oh, that's really so... interesting to me okay yeah yeah I, it does do different things in some ways so i can see liking one but not the other but yeah for me it was kind of strongly in the other direction so i did like the light of the jedi but i think i kind of loved rising storm almost you know, like mm. I just really got into that and I loved where it took people. Um, but yeah, I just need to shut up because otherwise I'm just going to spoil things. <laughs> no, it's nice to hear your excitement. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm just, I'm refreshing the library app and <laughs> waiting for it to come through. It should be Okay, great. Now. Awesome. Yeah, so I really look forward to discussing that with you, Kirsty, when we're there. Um, great. Yep. So then I think just the final news thing to discuss is that we've had an announcement about a making of the Mando season two finale, which is finally going to be shown on August 25th. Um, So yeah, I'll just read out the tweet. It's from the official Star Wars account on Twitter. Go behind the scenes of the best kept secret of the Mandalorian season two, a special episode of Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian making of the season two finale starts streaming August 25th on Disney plus. Sorry. I don't know why I did such a stupid voice. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah how do you feel about this Kirsty what's your attitude towards this announcement at the moment my attitude is I will take any behind the scenes info I can get because they are often very secretive Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I'll I'll definitely be watching it as soon as I can Um, and I'm just curious because this is supposed to focus on Luke right in that final episode because obviously the first one that they released about season two, they didn't have any hint of the fact that Luke was going to be in the finale because obviously at that point they were still trying to keep it on the down yep. low. So that's the focus of this. Yes, that's very much the impression I get. I think the tweet had an image of Luke like deflecting blaster bolts or whatever they're called, um, you know, in the cloak. Right. Um, so yeah, they're definitely making Luke the big selling point of this episode. I am looking forward to it because I'm very curious to see what Mark's level of involvement was. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I'm just bracing myself for anything that they could say that could be interpreted as uh, a bit of a dig towards The Last Jedi and that film's portrayal of Luke. Yeah. I'll be pissed if they go there. I hope they don't. Yeah, whether that's their intent or not. And, you know, I, I would hope that it wouldn't be because I've... You know, Dave Filoni was on the set of The Last Jedi and seems to get along very well with Ryan Johnson and everyone at Lucasfilm seemed to be very proud of 
the last jedi as it was coming out and they were talking about it um but i'm, I'm hoping that they're kind of wise to how that film has been received by certain people in the fandom and and then the reactions to luke and mando in contrast whether or not you personally feel that you know this was the right portrayal for him at that era in his life as opposed to the last jedi you know he is in very different stages obviously they they make sense as part of luke's story it's just how you personally feel about him being included in this series i guess um i guess i'm just embracing myself for any discourse that might come out of that for yeah i kind of feel like it might be for me a bit of like a not today satan mood (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna see some of the comments some of the things that are said and i'm just gonna be like i don't have time for you go away (laughs) but yeah you're right it's gonna be pervasive and it's gonna be everywhere so yeah i'm kind of prepared yeah i just hope that it's respectful of what ryan did as well because and i don't think this is mark's intention when he talks about like what an honor it was to play luke again at this time in his life but you know given the things that he was saying when the last jedi was coming out about how apprehensive he was and how he didn't quite buy into what ryan had chosen to do with the character um i don't know i guess i'm just curious to see how it all fits together i think for me the best case scenario would be for them to use the documentary as an opportunity to point out that this absolutely does tie in with what is done with Luke in The Last Jedi. Because mm. in that film, he's obviously heartbroken and disillusioned and he feels like he causes more trouble than good by being in society. You know, so that's why he's chosen to exile himself. But he obviously talks about how high he was at one point, you know, and all these like lofty expectations he had of himself and like how you know he was just like living on a cloud basically and obviously Luke does not phrase it like that but you know what I mean he was like in this golden age of his life after Return of the Jedi and that's the period in his life that's been captured by that moment in Mandalorian season two you know so it's absolutely Mm. not a refutation of what happens to Luke later it's just an example of that high point in his life that he would later fall from you know I would really respect them if they could like explain that to people and really drive that home I, I doubt it would register for many people but i'd like them to at least try i guess that if that's the case it makes me curious as to how they'll portray the idea of luke taking grogu going forward with the story like was it a good thing that grogu went with luke yeah. is luke making a good choice there is din um yeah i'm not sure where that story is going in that case yeah now, and I'd want to see some acknowledgement of the fact that that's a question, you know? So I think for a lot of fans, it probably is unequivocally, yes, that's a good thing, you know, that's what should happen. Like, Grogu's a young, force-sensitive, he should go to Luke and Luke's Jedi school or whatever it is. Well, to a certain extent, but then there's people who haven't read the Rise of Kylo Ren comics and are like, oh no, he's going to get <laughs> slaughtered by Ben God, Solo. God, I see that every time I go onto Reddit and it drives me nuts. <laughs> It's like, guys, I did a few times I replied to say that is definitely not what happens. But yeah, you can only do it so many times, you know, and then the questions keep coming. So I stopped. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you're right. Um, And yeah, I think it'll be very interesting. Whatever is said, you know, whatever tone they strike, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to form an opinion and we'll inevitably talk about that in this podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> it would just be a question of whether we can have a spotlight on it or whether it's something smaller. But we'll see how controversial it is and how impassioned we are. So, yeah, we'll be back. Yeah, because yeah, cause you kind of get two different types of behind-the-scenes stuff from Star Wars stuff, don't you? You, you get um, either really in-depth, like, character focus story like this is why we did this and you know this is where we were coming from with these characters and the kind of story that we wanted to tell and then you also get stuff that's more and i love this stuff just as much it's just as fun the you know the awe at being in star wars again and, and playing around with these settings and aliens and creatures and stuff um so it'll be interesting to see what the focus is and whether it is like on Luke as a character, as you kind of get with something like the director and the Jedi, or Luke as a spectacle, you know? Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. I really just hope it's more than, oh, we all grew up with Luke. Luke was our childhood hero. We just really wanted the opportunity to show him being heroic again. That's not true for some <laughs> of us. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's a problem that we have isn't it so it's just basically a lot of assumption about who the person is viewing these scenes you know and if you are the person they're assuming then it's fantastic for you you know it's like catnip but if you're not you can end up feeling a little bit alienated and i'm not saying everything has to like be perfectly catered to my needs and what interests me in storytelling it absolutely doesn't but sometimes it does feel like it's going too far the other way you know and mm. there's not much for me you know and yeah i just want to see more of a balance i suppose in the sort of content they're putting out yeah that was the kind of vibe i got from the first episode that they released about season two it was very much like this is from in this in return of the jedi and this is from this and oh look we redesigned this part of jabba's palace for the post credit scene just like this and it's you know it's like being in a dream when you're obsessed with the original trilogy as a kid and I don't dispute that that's how those creators feel. You know, you can feel John Favreau's excitement, but it's not necessarily going to be the excitement for every person in the audience. You know, a lot of people came to Star Wars through The Mandalorian or at least hadn't thought about it for a long time. Um, and a lot of people came to Star Wars through the prequels and the sequels and, are, you know, kind of diving into this era for the first time through The Mandalorian. So it's, it is, like you say, almost like, an assumption that the audience member feels the same way and that's just not always the yeah, case exactly so yeah let's say we're trepidatious but intrigued and we will be watching so <laughs> yeah like we'll report back in a few weeks basically so stay tuned um okay great um so let's quickly just talk about the latest batch <laughs> of bad batch episodes because yeah i'm just that clever um so the last three episodes to broadcast are episode 11 devil steel episode 12 rescue on ryloth and episode 13 infested um the first two are about ryloth shock um, and include shock shock hera from rebels and her parents and that first episode is really just about Hera and her family, isn't it? The Bad Batch appear, but they're just like one-scene wonders, aren't they? What did you think about that episode, Kirsty? I know it created quite a stir when it first showed. I quite liked that as a choice, because it was interesting to see the Bad Batch from a different perspective. Yeah. You know, that you were you were observing them from the perspective of the people who need help in that moment. So they're like the heroes who turn up. Um, I, I just love the interactions between Omega and Hera. Yes. 
That was really sweet. Yeah. No, it really ticks that female friendship box that Star Wars so rarely ticks. <laughs> True. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about yeah, that part. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's like, yay, two young girls actually talking and getting to know each other and being friends. I really liked that because, yeah, they can do like the Snow White thing quite often in Star Wars, you know, where it's like one woman and then a bunch of guys. Um, and that happens mm-hmm. over and over. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed that choice. Um and yeah, as someone who hasn't watched Rebels, I must say it worked quite well for me even. You know, it provided me with enough context to understand what was going on. You know, and I'm sure I missed a lot of context from having not watched Rebels. Um, but I liked Hera. You know, I thought she was like a very engaging young heroine in that episode. Um, and yeah, I also thought it just looked fantastic. You know, like the level of detail in how Ryloth was presented in those big crowd scenes. You know, like the diversity mm. of the people you're seeing. It was really well done. So, yeah, I'm very impressed by what they've been able to do visually in this show. I think you might like Rebels, you know. Like, I re- I think you should give yeah, it a go. I, I, re- I really do want to. You know, the more I watch stuff like this, it's gradually chipping away at my, like, hard <laughs> shell <laughs> resistance. I guess they're succeeding at what they're clearly aiming to do. <laughs> exactly. It's like they're breaking me down bit by bit. Until there's nothing left. I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, no. Because after this, you you texted me and you were like, "Oh, are we gonna see Hera and Kanan meet? Because they've both been featured in this show so far, right?" So it, it kind of made that connection for yeah. you. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, and yeah, I'm obviously all about that Star Wars romance, you know. So I don't know. Even though I know nothing about these characters' backstory from Rebels, and I'm sure it's gone into in that show. Um, like I just thought it would be really nice if they met as like young teenagers you know and I think there's something like kind of predestined about that if they then become like love interests later on but yeah I'm just mm. going to shut up because I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I thought Rescue on Ryloth um, episode 12 I thought that was also good it didn't have quite the same impact as the previous one because it was a little bit more of a standard episode you know where the Bad Batch have to help rescue Hera's parents basically you know so it felt a little bit more plotty and by the numbers I guess um but yeah it was still fun I enjoyed it how about you Kirsty? I really liked the stuff with Captain Hauser mm. and kind of showing the conflict because it you know you're using this individual character to tell the larger story of you know how are the clones going to make sense of what's happening now because they were tasked with protecting and defending these planets from the separatists and now they're enemies because they're part of the empire or they're enemies if those planets don't get in line which obviously is what's happening with Ryloth um and then we again I'm kind of making the similar point to what we were talking about with Ronan that you get these interesting concepts that you kind of hope to see in the movies um with the clones rebelling Mm which is kind of what we'd hope to see from the Stormtroopers in the sequel trilogy, um, which I appreciate here. You know, it's just kind of funny that he's like, oh, yeah, that's what I figured would happen in this other story. Um, but they're using it here because that's what Star Wars does. They they don't, they don't waste ideas. They just use them elsewhere. Um, and obviously we had that deleted scene from The Last Jedi where Finn was interacting with Phasma and then kind of trying to plea with the other Stormtroopers to, to notice what's going on and that they don't have to keep doing what they're doing um 
yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, you're right. That character was definitely the standout of that episode. Um, and yeah, like it really touched on some interesting thematic stuff that, yeah, too often is skirted over, I think is the nice way to put it in like mainstream styles. Yeah, I'm hoping that that plays into Crosshair's future choices. Yeah. Like, you know, he saw that happen um, and maybe you'll get him considering things. Yeah, I really do think some sort of big showdown between Crosshair and the rest of the Bad Batch has to be the finale at this point, you know, because they kind of end Rescue on Ryloth with, you know, him being sent to hunt them down, basically. So I'm sure they're building to that now for these last few episodes of the season. Um, And yeah, I hope there's some big dramatic stuff going on there you know i can i foresee big speeches in the show's future you know appealing to inner goodness and all that so yeah i think that's coming they're laying it on thick with that stuff because in infested obviously you get amiga again saying to the rest of the bad batch like that people can be capable of goodness even if they've done bad things and yes necessarily wants to just like okay i see where you're going here exactly that's that's a very good point and i must say my observations about episode 13 infested are going to be a little bit less intelligent um (laughs) because one of my main observations is the fact that it's very funny that there's a star wars character called roland (laughs) <laughs> I love it when really regular names crop up. <laughs> Especially when he looks like Satan. You know, he literally looks like Satan. And I know that's a species, guys. I know that's an established species in Star Wars. It is a species, but it's from George struggling to find <laughs> costumes. So they just put a devil in the background. It's so funny. Yeah, no, so I kind of love that. And. Also, this is an even more stupid comment, but is it just me or is Roland kind of hot as a character? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) He's Satan. Hello. (laughs) Yes. Although for Satan, he was like a little bit dopey. You know, like he wasn't like the most intelligent crime boss ever. You know, he wasn't this like Machiavellian mastermind. He seemed like a bit, oh, shit, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) At the end. (laughs) You know, which I can respect. That in itself is appealing. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes him very relatable, um, which I appreciated. Um, but yeah, it was like a fun romp, I think, this episode. Um, and yeah, I think, as you've said, Kirsty, the main point is to have a home that message about, well, not everyone's all bad. You know, there's like good in everyone, all that, which is all good messages. I like to see that. Um, but yeah, I didn't feel like it was contributing anything huge to the overall arc of the show. I guess not, but you know, not every episode has to. And mm. just after the Ryloth episodes, you kind of maybe want something a little lighter. Yes. Um, yeah, it's nice to see Sid again. And of course, even in that regard, Amiga is appealing to them and like, we can't just, you know, refuse to help her when she's been so good to us. Um, yeah, I always like seeing Sid. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It was nice. Um, and yeah, it also just looked really great, as always. I think this show, of all the stars animation I've seen, is probably the most beautiful. Um, mm. And I know there's other really high quality animated star shows. And like, I even really love the style of Resistance, which is very controversial, you know, among some fans. I don't think it's controversial among us two. But um, yeah, like, I think it just looks fantastic. So I don't know what the budget is, but whatever it is, they're making good use of it. Yeah, it does look great. I I got a laugh out of this because I saw one of the creators on Twitter before the episode came out was like, this is our darkest episode yet. And obviously, (laughs) 
people had interpreted that as like emotionally dark. Right, yeah. No, physically, they're in a tunnel for most of it. <laughs> it's literally a very dark episode, guys. Yeah, I must have all the reference points. The What it reminded me of the most was Temple of Doom. You know, there's all that stuff mm. in like the caverns in Temple of Doom. I, I really think yeah. they were vibing off that. And I appreciated that. That was my favourite Indiana Jones film as a kid, so... Yeah, respect. It's my favourite Disneyland ride, so yeah, Ooh. definitely. Is there honestly a Disneyland ride based on Temple Oh of my Doom? god, yeah, it's so good. Oh my god, I have to go to that. <laughs> wow. I've always been like a bit lukewarm about Disneyland, but now I know that. Wow, yeah, everything. You've yeah, they have everything. the <laughs> animatronic Harrison Ford. That's <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. Um, okay, cool. And that brings us to our spotlight. Um, this is going to be a little bit more off the cuff than some of our spotlights, because really it's just going to be a conversation about two of the recent Marvel shows that we have both watched, um, those being WandaVision and Loki. Um, because, yeah, like obviously those are not Star Wars shows, and we're acutely aware of that. But at the same time, watching them, it's hard to watch them and not think about Star Wars. <laughs> to some extent you know so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the shows in their own right and then we're just also going to talk about them relative to Star Wars you know and I don't really have a fixed plan for how we're going to do this you know and I think it will happen organically but yeah like how these shows perhaps do things that we'd want to see from similar Star Wars shows you know how they might parallel certain certain types of storytelling that we'd like to see Star Wars do more of and also just talking about the shows in their own right, to be honest, because they've been all over our Twitter feeds, and why not? Um, so, yeah, it should be fun. So, let's start off, Kirsty. Of the two shows, which one would you give the edge to, in terms of you enjoyed it a bit more? I think I actually like Loki more. Mm, nice, okay. But it's it, it's a narrow gap. I enjoyed them both. Yeah. And far more than I thought I would. Yes. Um, I'm not really someone who can I don't, i'm not really a fan of the marvel movies in general there are some i like more than others but um yeah i've never really rewatched them or looked forward to them actively you know they're just kind of there and they're the big movies that come out every so often yeah um and i didn't i actively did not like infinity war and endgame like i just too many characters too much noise um so and i just just not my kind of thing sure so watching these it was a surprise because they were able to like focus on these characters and you know to an extent like they're building up to the next phase or whatever like both of them seem to be building to the same kind of thing with the new doctor strange i think that they're both going to be in mm-hmm. maybe yeah i think that's um, what they're doing and i didn't really love the first doctor strange <laughs> movie so i'm less infused about that <laughs> yeah but I thought they were able to do that while also doing interesting things with these characters. So and that's probably a tricky tightrope to navigate and they managed to do it. Um, so they clearly had directors and writers on who cared about these characters and wanted to do them justice in the meantime while that they tee up those next things. And I thought they did it well. Yeah, no, I think that's really well stated. Um, yeah, I guess what I really liked is yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of Infinity War and Endgame either because, yeah, I think for similar reasons, it was just a whole lot of visual noise. You know, there's just so much going on and it's all about plot, basically. You know, and there are obviously character beats and there's emotional moments, but that's just it, they're moments, you know, and they don't really have much context surrounding them. 
So you have scenes with Wanda and Vision that establish their relationship in Infinity War. You know, you see them in Scotland, um, bizarrely. I still don't understand why. Um, early oh, on yeah, in they were film. on Coburn Street, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, no, you weren't dreaming. That is actually a thing that happened in a Marvel film. Um, yeah, so you see Wanda and Vision there, so you want to establish the fact they're in a romantic relationship. But that's all you get of that relationship, essentially. I think really even in all the films, you know, it's not much developed. You do see moments again between them in earlier films, but it's just moments. And they're not an established couple until until that moment in Infinity War. And that's only done so they can kill Vision and have Wanda be very emotional about it briefly (laughs) afterwards, you know. So it feels a bit cursory, I guess, in that film. And I really never expected them to take the concept of that relationship and those characters and actually really build a story around that you know and take it seriously in terms of how they went into Wanda's inner world and how she was processing the emotions surrounding that loss and yeah what she wanted what her deepest dreams and desires were for that relationship you know I just really loved that and I think the choice to tell that story in such a interesting stylistic way you know by literally having those first few episodes be sitcoms you know pure sitcoms with a few like surreal wall third wall breaking sorry with a few surreal fourth wall breaking moments but really sticking to that format you know and doing that in order to show you Wanda's happy place you know to see this is what she wants you know it's simple it's a bit unrealistic and it's a bit silly but ultimately this is all she wants you know and the world just couldn't give her that like small humble existence you know she could be happy with the person she loved and have kids and stuff you know and I really appreciated that because often yeah you just don't see that sort of mundaneity like portrayed of such respect I don't know like I'm struggling to find the words for it But yeah, I was not expecting that from a superhero story and I'm just really glad they went there. Yeah, thinking about what WandaVision and Loki do with these characters who I guess I don't know Wanda too well based on the movies. Is she she like unequivocally a hero in the movies? Is she a good character? Um, She's first introduced in Age of Ultron and in that film she starts out working for the baddie basically okay but by the end of it she's turned and she's working with the good guys and she has like a few morally ambiguous moments in the subsequent films but she's pretty solidly on the side of the good guys after that point i'd say okay i just thought they did some interesting things with these characters and like blurring the line between hero and villain with both wonder and loki because Mm -hmm. it drills down to like what they want and need as individuals and kind of like isolates them, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, maybe that's why some fans weren't sure about what they were watching. Especially with Loki, it seems like it's been quite controversial because it's like, this isn't the Loki that we know. <laughs> um, and I, maybe there's less to go on with Wanda because she's not been in the movies as much as Loki. But um, yeah, like you, I felt like it did a really good job kind of based on what happened with her and Vision in the movies, like exploring that grief and how she would realistically respond as a character. And I say realistically, you know, she has magical powers, but, (laughs) 
you know, how would you feel um, having given all that up? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like they did a really good job of it. Yeah. No, it's really good. And I guess in terms of trying to make this at least somewhat relevant to Star Wars, I feel like WandaVision is kind of like the Star Wars equivalent that I have in my mind is I'd want a similar show for like Ray and Ben, you know, like to give that some closure and catharsis that they just never get in the films you know um and obviously it wouldn't be the same story ray wouldn't be making up sitcoms in her mind to process her grief <laughs> <laughs> sorry although that'd be funny i'd want to see what but we'd like to see some acknowledgement of her grief which so far we haven't got exactly and i think it kind of threw me for a loop to be honest the fact that marvel is the studio that went there before star wars because i did always associate star wars as the franchise being the one that was more interested in that emotional side of things you know because for me up until these disney plus shows i've always associated marvel as being very much aligned with spectacle and action you know rather than like any emotion or heart really to the storytelling and that's not necessarily fair you know i know that some of these films do have those things you know they they're really emotionally resonant for many people but I personally never registered them that way in the way that I have with Star Wars. Um, so yeah, I was kind of like, "What? where does this leave me now? When Marvel had made the choice to tell that type of show, you know, about one of their female characters and really treated her grief with respect and like genuinely engaged with it in an interesting mm. way. Like I really respected and appreciated that. And yeah and it shows it is possible you know it shows it's possible and it can be really entertaining and it can really like hook a large audience you know so i really hope it's a lesson you know to the people at star wars that you can tell these more intimate stories that are just very very character focused because yeah so far we just haven't had that you know like i enjoy mandalorian and i don't want to like turn this into like a like rubbish the mandalorian episode you know and i won't do that but as a character, the Mandalorian has moments, you know, but it's ultimately just a dude doing stuff. You know, you don't get, you very rarely get introspection from the Mandalorian, you know, and I really enjoy the moments when we do, you know, like when you actually see Pedro, my God, it's so good to see Pedro and to see emotion on his face. Um, but those moments are very few and far between. And it feels like that's something the show is like least interested in, you know, in terms of its priorities. And for me, that should be the number one priority, you know, really getting to know your character and understand their emotions and like how they relate to the other characters around them and stuff, you know. And yeah, I just want more of that from Star Wars, please, because Marvel are doing it much better than you right now. <laughs> yeah, it makes me curious to see what they'll end up doing with the Boba Fett show. And I have a quiet hope that season three of The Mandalorian is going to delve further into the things that they obviously set up in season two around din's kind of crisis of faith um and the fact that he is starting to unmask a bit more yeah. like once you take it off for one person can you just take it off period um and kind of the conflict of oh he's left grogu now like what is his purpose where is he going to find his place now yeah um so we'll see i'm cautiously optimistic <laughs> um even though i didn't love season two um but yeah, like you say, it's kind of hard not to compare them because these are kind of the two big IPs 
um, that are coming out on Disney Plus with these these big series now. Um, and just that we we enjoyed WandaVision and Loki so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes makes me curious to see what what's next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think with Luke, Loki, um, that really blindsided me because I really enjoyed the first two episodes. You know, they were fun, but it kind of felt like the Marvel Doctor Who. You know, it felt like Marvel going into time travel and having this sort of like fun, but also kind of nightmarish bureaucracy, you know, that felt a bit like Brazil, I guess. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed that stuff, but I didn't really get into it until episode three when we really get to meet Sylvie and they make you understand that that's actually the crux of the show. You know, Loki getting to know and ultimately fall in love with this other version of himself. Um, and I had no idea that was coming and it was really unexpected and delightful to me. Um, and yeah, I, I'm still kind of shocked they made that choice because <laughs> it's just so crazy you know literally falling in love with yourself he is the god of mischief yes the god of mischief um <laughs> and yeah you know so, i don't know i just i have in my head that disney's a very moralistic company and i don't think that's just in my head i think that it is very much a very moralizing company you know but you'd think that that would be construed as kind of taboo you know that you wouldn't cross i guess no really because they, it's framed as like, you know, it starts as self-acceptance and then, you know, if you love yourself, you can love others. That's that's a lovely message. Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty conventional. that's how I see it, you know, and I really like that. But I don't know, I guess maybe I've had my brain infected by the people who like were opposed to it, you know, in the same Oh, like, that's disingenuous. They just wanted their own ship to be canon. <laughs> yeah. No, Come on. Right. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. I, I think if you drill down, it's just they wanted him to kiss Owen Wilson's character, which was never going to happen yeah no i think you're right um and yeah like honestly i i don't have those concerns you know i don't see it as like a moral problem to have him fall in love with a variant of himself because they are so unequivocal about the fact that loki and sylvia are such different people with completely different life experiences and they also look nothing alike which i think really helps right <laughs> you know, they're kind of tying them together as soulmates in that way aren't they it's like another version of the dyad yes exactly it really is the marvel raylo i think at this point um as you can tell by the fact that many people have Lo raylo and silky in their sh twitter handles at the moment because yeah that's the new thing apparently um and yeah i just didn't expect it and i was very pleasantly surprised that they went full romance you know because a lot of marvel films have like romantic interests for the heroes they usually feel very peripheral yeah it's like we're together off screen yeah <laughs> exactly and usually they're there just to fulfill the most like boring plot function imaginable you know like the villain like captures the girlfriend or whatever and the girlfriend has to be rescued or some bullshit you know and i think there's less of that recently that's more like an old-fashioned superhero trope at this point um but yeah it's just never central it's always treated like a bit of a dirty little secret almost in like superhero films um, and so, yeah, to see it really be the crux of everything and to have that kiss be the emotional climax for the last episode, I, I was really appreciative of that, you know, it was great. And yeah, let's also talk about how refreshing it was to just see creatives be so open about the love story and their own creation. Kirsty, isn't that a nice <laughs> feeling when you get that? I mean, 
yes, it's only really Lucasfilm that I've ever noticed being coy about it because usually if people are telling love stories, that's what they're doing and they're happy to talk about it and get people excited. Sure. It's really only with the sequel trilogy that for some reason that I sort of really understand they were dancing around the whole Ray and Ben thing for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I still don't really get that, to be honest. You'd have, <laughs> we'd so have to talk to someone at Lucasfilm to figure out what's going on there. Yeah. I think it has to come out of just like the fact that they had different creators working on the sequel trilogy and maybe they weren't super communicative with each other. Yeah. But... They must have been to an extent in that, you you know, you had JJ at least finish off that element of Ryan's story that he'd evolved from The Force Awakens yeah. in the way that he saw. Um, but yeah, I, I've been waiting for them to talk about it and they're just not because now they're in this weird place where Ryan probably doesn't feel like he can talk about the sequel trilogy without stepping on JJ's toes. And JJ obviously has another million things to be going on with at, this, at the moment. So yeah. I don't know who at Lucasfilm would kind of take that up. Exactly. To talk about it. This is like, guys, yeah. I know a lot of people are excited for this Mandalorian season two making of documentary, you know, making of the finale documentary to be more specific. What I want to see is a making of documentary about the climactic Raylo scene on Exegol and Tross. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me like an hour on that, please, of all the B-roll. <laughs> and we genuinely might be waiting like 10 years for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I might need to get used to waiting, like a certain ray. Oh, sorry, just being a troll. Um, but yeah, I would honestly love to see that, and we're not going to get that anytime soon. So I'm not surprised. I'm used to it. But yeah, it's just yeah. I'm really glad that Marvel are being more open with it, and I am very curious to see where they go from here because I would say that Loki season one, it really left. Loki and Sylvie in the same place that Rey and Kylo found themselves at the end of The Last Jedi. Or like equivalent to, you know, it's not um, the same. But Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's that whole note of being separated and feeling like at odds of each other to some extent. But I don't know. I feel like Sylvie's probably gone further than Kylo has. Uh, than or at least than Kylo had at the end of The Last Jedi. Because with Sylvie I think she realises she fucked up straight away. And although I guess Kylo does as well, really, doesn't he? So, oh, I don't know. It's it's difficult because in Star Wars, you've inevitably got the binary light side, dark side, and dark side is always morally bad. Whereas I think with Sylvie, you can understand a bit more. Like, she's not necessarily doing the bad thing. Like, the TVA is clearly this bureaucratic hellhole that needs to be abolished. But then, of course, she inadvertently starts the whole multiverse chaos. And that's not her fault. Like, you know, she's been going this way her whole life and she can't let Loki get in the way of that but and I don't think Loki's angry with her right in the same way that Rey feels betrayed by Kylo's choice yeah it, it is it's a little different I, I see the parallels for sure but they're also separated in a way that feels more like um like the 10th Doctor and Rose or like Will and Lyra in his Dark Materials where it's like they're soulmates and they're literally in different universes now <laughs> so will they find their way back to each other or is that kind of it yeah no that's a good way of putting it and yeah i i I just hope that we don't have another bittersweet ending for those two i just want to see characters be together and happy for once and i also think it'd be really funny to see the introductions to four if they did properly get together (laughs) and like do a meet the family thing so i think that would be an interesting conversation (laughs) 
Thor start to meet other Thors? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. <laughs> the possibilities are truly limitless at this point. Um, so, yeah, that's quite exciting. Um, but, yeah, I, I was really impressed by both these shows. And I think the creatives behind them did a really good job. Um, and, yeah, it's weird to feel this invested in Marvel stuff. <laughs> to be it honest. is strange. It's like, who and am I? Must I must admit, I would... I was being a bit snobby when I was before the show started because you kept asking like, "Are you excited about Loki?" And I was like, "Not really. Like, mm. I'll watch it, but I didn't anticipate myself like watching every episode the week it came out. Yeah. You know, I thought I'd just catch them when I had time, but I did start to make time for them. And as it was almost comical actually, like, before the show was coming out, in interviews, the creators kept dropping references to things that I love, like Mad Men and before sunrise and i was like how is that going to play into a marvel show like before sunrise yeah come on because at that point they'd never get any sense that it was going to be a romance like sylvie wasn't on my radar at all sure. maybe people who've been following leaks and stuff knew that she was involved i didn't um so i was like they're gonna start having these intimate conversations about romance and philosophy and everything between characters yeah right but that is what happened yeah no it was and maybe you'll really get more people to go and watch before sunrise yeah and i had a really like weird out of body thing where i loved episode three you know that for me was where i fell in love with the show and it really clicked for me um because i just loved the whole vibe of it and i found the character dynamic so engaging but then i inevitably found some like commentary online talking about it and people were like oh this is the most boring episode i'm gonna tell everyone you can skip this episode and just go straight to the next one without losing anything <laughs> And I'm like, are these people crazy? I don't understand. They're not crazy. I just, I, you know, I'm, I completely get why the typical Marvel fan who does love things like Endgame and Infinity War, and I, I know a lot of people who love those movies loved this show too. That's great. But if you love it just for the action, then this would be like you maybe consider it a filler episode. Whereas this was the meat for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I doubt every fan of loki as a character loved the show like he does go in a very different direction i rewatched some of the episodes and just from the beginning of the show you know like he, he does go on a journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance like he hates himself and you get why <laughs> you know obviously he's made some mistakes but he starts addressing them and meets someone else who's on a similar but different path and realizes he's not so bad and he's worthy of love yeah and it's interesting because the loki who gets you know the redemption through the course of the show loki that's the loki from the 2012 film avengers basically right because of all the that was what was confusing me i was watching it with a friend and she was like well this isn't the character who actually goes through those other movies i was like wait what yeah <laughs> it, it is very okay. mind bendy isn't it um yeah yeah and it's funny because he the other loki you know the loki that goes through to infinity war and dies in that movie he also gets a redemption arc but to me, the redemption arc the other Loki got was much more boring. And I guess because it lacked that personal aspect, you know. Like, and it, when, that's not fair. It did have a personal aspect, but it was more about his relationship with Thor, you know, his brother. Which, mm. you know, it's fine. And I, I, I did like that story. But, you know, like, bros being bros is not as interesting to me, I guess. <laughs> I just... I like that whole, you know, like, dyad thing, like, another half of your soul. I, I just like romance, I guess. I'm basic. Um, 
but yeah I, I just really liked how they did it and it made me really root for the character you know it was impressive what a huge journey they took him on from where he starts out in that first episode you know trying to like lord over those random people he comes across after traveling away from new york and then at the very end where he's so vulnerable and he just wants to make sure sylvie's okay you know in his own words i thought that was really touching and yeah just really well done yeah if people haven't yet i recommend watching the behind the scenes i think it's called assembled on disney plus oh yeah i watched the loki one last night i really want to yeah I haven't watched the WandaVision one. I probably will at some point, but the Loki one was really great. It's narrated by Tom Hiddleston and he talks about why he loves playing that character so much. And there's a lot of fun interactions with him and Owen Wilson. Um, and, and Kate Heron has some great things to say as well about what she wanted to bring to the show. And she is like unequivocal about that whole romance and self-acceptance angle. She calls herself a cheese ball. Oh, <laughs> I is, love that. That's great. Yeah, it's really endearing that she, it seems like she got to tell the story she wanted to tell. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And it was really great. It's nice seeing creatives clearly be given such creative freedom over like such a big property. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Um, I feel like that's where I'd like to wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts, Kirsty? Not really. I guess it just like you said it does kind of make me look forward to um what's going to happen with the the star wars series that we've heard about like obviously we're really excited for acolyte but we still don't have a huge sense of the story there um and i can't even remember what what are the other marvel shows that they're doing is there anything that you're looking forward to um they're doing a lot (laughs) um i think the (laughs) next one is what if which is like an animated it's what it sounds like you know it's an animated what if so what if t'challa whose black panther was star lord from guardians of the galaxy and stuff so you know proper weird concepts basically like a visions kind of thing i guess yeah it's not really canon but yeah yeah, I think it's really going to tie into what Loki did, you know, of the multiverse, and saying there's a million different possibilities, including these, and then all <laughs> tell stories that could be set in the multiverse. Then I think it's Hawkeye, which I'm sorry, I don't care about that character. I, I might watch it, you know, if it gets great <laughs> reviews, like I might be won over. Um, and it does have Haley, Haley Steinfeld in it, I believe, and I do like her. So I might watch it for her, but yeah, I'm not thrilled at the moment by the prospect of that. Um, then I think Miss Marvel is coming by the end of the year Um, and that sounds interesting to me I think she's going to be the first Muslim Marvel superhero Um, Mm. she's like a really well liked well loved character in the the comics Um, so yeah I'd probably want to check that out and yeah there's just a bunch more but I can't remember what they're called right now so yeah I'm not sure there's anything I'm as hyped for you know as I was for WandaVision and Loki but to be honest, with something like Loki, I, I was looking forward to that side so like Loki, but then my interest really stepped up because what I realised the show is actually about, you know, that took it to mm. the next level. So I'm fully open to being surprised by the shows and taken on a journey with them. Yeah, Loki is a character who I'd constantly seen compared to Kylo, but I'd never really got it because like just based on what I'd seen from the movies, I was like, there's not that much there. Like I, I thought Tom Hiddleston did a great job with the character. Like I, I got what he was in terms of being like villain slash anti-hero, foil to Thor. Like, you know, I thought it was all fine. I was just like, there's not that much there for me to grab onto. But this series really succeeded in getting me invested in him. 
Yeah. Now I get what the fuss is about. Yeah, exactly. And I'm really glad Loki's getting a season two because, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to follow up in that show. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. Yeah, I know. I just didn't see myself at this point like being more invested in Marvel TV than Star Wars TV. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, was this my life? It's very strange. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Visions, to be honest, because I feel like that might be the first like Star Wars thing in a while where I can be very, very like, wholehearted about loving it. And that's dangerous to say, you know, when I haven't seen it, you know, I might be less keen on it than I imagine I'm going to be. But yeah, I am super excited for Visions. And I think there's a lot of promise based on what we've seen. So yeah, bring that on, basically. There's always the Ewoks cartoon in the meantime. <laughs> yes, exactly. The legend continues. And droids, droids as well. Yep. Yeah, that classics is like a real gold mine. Now, what do they call it? They don't call it classics, do they? I think it's vintage. Vintage, yeah. No, which is quite nice. It's not really like demeaning. You know, it's quite respectful as far as like labels go. Um, but yeah, it does put it away in its own tidy little box, so people don't need to stress <laughs> out about it being on Disney Plus. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we have to say for now. So let's wrap up. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirstie, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!